Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 132, episode 4 of Der Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness and say officially off the top, fuck the Koch brothers and fuck Fox News. It's Thursday, May 7th, 2020. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. I don't want to wait in this line any longer. Mouth breathers don't know how to gauge six feet. Uh, that is courtesy of <laughs> Nick Drakowski. Uh, I was wondering where said, that was going, but I, I do it, it right. And uh, yeah, you nailed it, man. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. I watch the TV. Blaze with my blade. Wait, let me start that over. But keep <laughs> no. this in because I'm a busker. Look, you don't have to give money, but I watch the TV with my blazed out companions. I take notes and write shit because fuck, it's my job. The virus has fucked us and not with the hot takes. But I can't get worried. I'm gonna get high. And I don't wow. ever want to deal with this shit again. Please get this fucking real. Dump this fucking president. I don't ever want to deal with this shit again. All I really want is to joke about trash TV all day. And I could keep going, but you know, when you're lonely in the quarry, yeah. you become Anthony Kiedis. Thank you to Ben Bainey at Bainey84 for, I don't know, man, affecting my brain. I'm going to listen to that album again tonight. Uh, and we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat by the hilarious and talented core co-host, Jamie Loftus! Jack and Miles are here every day with Lil Zam and Hosnier. Wash your hands and you will see an end to the quarantine. This is quarantine. This is quarantine. In our homes in the day and night. Oh, thank you to Lisa P at Amazing Pockets for really challenging my lower register today. Mm. There could have gone up the octave, but I, I don't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> and we are thrilled to be joined in our fourth seat by the very talented Franklin Leonard. I feel like I should have a song inspired by mid 90s rock. And I don't. <laughs> That's my favorite there was, part. There was no the... prep for that. I feel like no. I should I could have stepped up my game and, and delivered. That's kind we of the power that... move that we do is we yeah. all get to sing a song and then the guest uh, has to be like, hi. Yeah, yeah. it's a, good, it's a <laughs> it's strong exactly. power move. Yeah, it's yeah. a built-in bit where it's like song, 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 then spotlight on the guest. <laughs> <laughs> hi. Like, oh, what? Uh. <laughs> hi, I don't have a song. Uh, I'm the boring part of this conversation. Oh, welcome no, to the show, welcome. Franklin. First yeah, time welcome, guest. Welcome. First time guest. First Thanks time. for having me. Yeah. We are going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell our listeners a couple of the things we're talking about. Uh, we are going to talk about Ahmad Arbery uh, yeah. in Georgia, that horrifying story. Uh, we're going to talk about the president going to a mask factory, uh, not wearing a mask, and with live and let die blaring in the background. Uh, we're going to talk about the new whistleblower. We got a new whistleblower. Oh, whistle. VIP. 
Uh, we are going to talk about the president's new plan uh, to just send everybody back to work. Uh, we're going to talk about concerts. We're going to talk about Demolition Man. All of mm. that and plenty more. But first, Franklin, we like to ask our guest, what is something from your search history that is revealing about who you are? Uh, there is a long section of my search history as recently as yesterday, but going back throughout the quarantine, that's basically like, when is professional soccer going to start again? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a degenerate soccer fan. Mm -hmm. It is one lens through which I consume the world, and I'm just desperate for the return. I know, I think it's the Uzbeki League is still uh, active, but I haven't like gotten myself to actually watch those games. Apparently they are being televised, but I, I just can't, I can't do it. Uh, yeah. If, if anyone has like a, a pirate stream of that, let me know. I'm I'm I, the same way. I've I feel really bad, especially I have a lot of Liverpool fans uh, in my midst. Yeah. And for anybody who knows the Premier League, Liverpool has not won the the Premier League as it's become the Premier League. So yep. it's been many years, and they were on the brink of pulling it off. And this season ending has like left them like on the brink of like creating their own history. And yep. they're just left there like, what are we doing? And they're like, maybe we'll vacate the results. I don't know. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's interesting to see the trauma from a sports perspective, which is not anything close to people's actual loss, but like to see the stress that's come out of people not even knowing like how standings end at the end of the season. Yeah. yeah. Well, and relegation is still sort of uh, TBD. I mean, the wildest part about the Liverpool thing, right, is like not only were they about to win their first Premier League title, they have arguably put together one of the greatest seasons of professional soccer ever. Yeah. Like literally, I, ever. Yeah, was just their record say. is such that like it, it is better than any record on any top league in Europe ever. Yeah. And it was obvious that they were going to win the league and they've had sort of close calls before and like random slip ups, like the, the Gerard literally. slip, literally, literally slip ups. Right. Slip -ups. Yeah, and I remember having conversations with Liverpool fans like, yeah, we got it. The only way we don't win the league is if we don't finish the season. And here we are. Oh, like it's literally yeah. like if there was ever an argument for Liverpool being cursed, it was not the Gerard slip. It's literally the global viral pandemic that may prevent them from having a trophy. It's, it's just wild. Yeah. 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 Totally. I, I definitely you got to feel for him right word. jamie i i, <laughs> uh, I love it I, th I think that i totally agree and <laughs> it's it's you know i love i love a soccer ball <laughs> <laughs> my favorite is finally because it's all there, there are so many times we get caught down sports american sports wormholes that i can talk soccer with somebody uh, yeah, I'm just, I really just Jordan need to have documentary. my documentary. This is yeah, it's my Jordan, Jordan documentary. documentary. All right, guys, here's a part where we're just gonna bring Franklin in, and we're just gonna wax about the <laughs> about European soccer for about forty minutes. I would be happy to do it. Okay, well, we'll have to talk after this. All right, Franklin, what is something you think is underrated? I don't think people are talking enough about the plot against America, uh, the new David Ooh. Simon show on HBO. It's really Ooh. exceptional and. Like the writing, the performances, like we all expect this from a David Simon show, but I feel like as good as it is, I haven't heard enough people talking about how good it is. It is. So I'm going to go with that for now. Man, I didn't even know that was a David Simon show. Yeah, right. I just, wow. Holy it's shit. So, and like I'm Zoe Kazan is just like, Zoe Kazan just gives the performance. I think we all knew that she was capable. Of. Like it's just a really, 
really well done bit of television. High, high, high recommend, and I don't feel like people are talking about it enough. What do you think Sweet. is getting, what is it, do you think Tiger King is just taking up too much of the oxygen? Or what do you think the reason <laughs> is for the lack of conversation around it? You know, it's interesting. I feel like it's very similar to The Wire, right? Like everybody sort of knows The Wire is one of the best TV shows of all time now, but it really didn't catch on. Like I didn't hear about it in the zeitgeist until like the third or fourth season. And I feel like people were late to it. I also feel like probably in this moment, like, you know, depressing stories about white supremacist presidents feels a bit on the nose, maybe. Um, right, I get that on the news. I don't yeah, need it from fiction, am I right? I don't to be reminded that, uh, yeah, things are seriously, yeah. seriously messed up right now. And so I feel like people might not be as like interested in watching it but i mean right. if, if if you if you want to avoid that you can watch the show just to appreciate the incredible craft on display like on right. every front so yeah there's a lot of like you, really solid prestige shows coming out right now that i feel like are not getting talked about a lot because i've yeah. i've been watching mrs america and i haven't really heard people talking about that run's been coming it's, out no one's really talking about that it's weird mrs america the contest is another, they're still having it Mrs. America is excellent. No, no, no. It's it's the it's like the, the... Jack. Touche. Touche. I, I will uh, say the thing about Mrs. America that's weird is like it's weird to feel like sympathy for Phyllis Schlafly. I don't um, like. Yeah, that whole trend. I think in general, I bet I feel like Bombshell kind of ascribed to as yeah. well. They're like. Okay, we're gonna make a show about a woman, but like the worst woman we can find, and you're yeah. just like, why? Why? And we're, gonna and we're gonna make you feel bad for her. We're gonna make right. you like try to understand where she was coming from. And I'm like, look, yes, her life was not ideal. I still don't like her. I still reject everything she stood for. And I don't want to feel bad so for not liking her. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. And so should we all reject her. Yeah. So that that part of it is weird. But yeah, again, but Kate Blanchett, everything Blanchett about like the craft on display on that show is bananas. Like Kate yeah. Blanchett is acting her face off. Like Uzo Aduba is amazing as Shirley Chisholm. Like mm. give me that limited series. The, the Uzo as right. Shirley Chisholm limited mm. series. I will watch that as Hell appointment yeah. television. Hell yeah. And Franklin, I should say for people who aren't familiar with your career that everybody yeah. should be listening the fuck up when it comes to your opinion <laughs> on uh, movies and TV shows. Can you explain? You are the founder of The Blacklist. Can you explain yeah. what The Blacklist is? Yeah. So The Blacklist started as this. Uh, I was working as a junior executive at Leonardo DiCaprio's production company in 2005. And, and my job was to find good screenplays to like either make them as our company or work with the writer to make other things. And I felt like by, I was not doing a very good job at that job. Like most of the scripts that I were reading was like mediocre to bad, um, mm -hmm. which meant either that I was bad at my job or that like the job was reading bad scripts and passing on them, in which case like my <laughs> mother's weekly phone calls asking me if my LSAT scores were still valid was like something I could take more <laughs> seriously. Right. Um, and I really didn't want to go to law school. So I, I took a survey of my peers and said, send me a list of your 10 favorite scripts that haven't been produced. In exchange, I'll send you the combined list. And it was really like selfishly just a way to find good screenplays. And I did it anonymously and slapped this quasi-subversive name on it, The Blacklist, and it went sort of viral in the industry at a time when, like, the notion of internet virality was still new. And then over the last 15 years, like, the scripts that are on that list have gone on to a great deal of success. So, like, four of the last 12 Best Pictures, like, 12 of the last 26 screenwriting Oscars um, were scripts that were on this list before they got produced, and the writers that are on it have gone on to great success. Like I, I'm sure you guys saw the the Star Wars announcements uh, on May 4th. Like mm -hmm. 
Taika Waititi was on the blacklist years ago with Jojo Rabbit. Uh, Christy Karens Wilson, who co-wrote 1917, who's co-writing the script with him, was on it with another script uh, years prior. Leslie Headland, who's doing the TV show, was on it with Bachelorette like years ago. So it, it, we, it became an arbiter of taste very quickly and like a way to, to sort of identify good stuff. And then we sort of built on top of that an organization that sees as its mission to identify and celebrate great screenwriting. So we have a two-sided website where people can upload their screenplays, have them evaluated. If it's good, we'll tell everybody in the industry, like, yo, this is dope. Y'all should probably do something with this. Yeah. Um, we do Screenwriters Labs, two of which are with women in film, specifically for women screenwriters. Uh, we have a podcast on Luminary where we interview people about like the role of film in their lives. Um, and then we started making movies. So our first film premiered at South by Southwest last year. It's now available on VOD. It's called Come As You Are. Uh, it's about three disabled men who escape their helicopter parents to go on a road trip to lose their virginities at a brothel that caters to disabled men. Um, it wow. is 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which is pretty yeah. cool. And, and, and Questlove tweeted about it in sort of the most random thing to happen in my 2020. He was like, hey, I just <laughs> caught this film randomly. Everybody should see it. It should be the new big, my Big Fat Greek Wedding. And yeah, so I'm going to frame that tweet. Um, yeah. And... Uh, yeah. So, you know, look, at the end of the day, we just want to be a tide that raises all boats, but especially the boats of writers to try to get better movies made. So selfishly, we can all sit on our couches and watch dope shit. Yeah. And not right. watch the same story over and over. Again. Yeah. Like, I, I think I think audiences want things they haven't seen before. They want good mm -hmm. stories told well. They don't really care like about like like the gender or race or gender, gender preference of the people that are starring. It's just like, give me something that makes me feel something and makes me care about the people that I'm watching. And if you can do that for two hours or 12 episodes, like I'm going to be with you. Um, so to the extent that we can be helpful in making sure that happens, because most of that starts with the writing, that's what we try to do. Nice. What is, uh, what is something you think is overrated? I mean, Tiger King, maybe. Um, <laughs> look, I, 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 I'm not gonna lie. I watched the whole thing, but at the same time, like yeah. I was like deeply aware of like it just felt wrong to be watching it on some fundamental level. Um, and like people's enthusiasm about it, like I wish some of that oxygen could go to stuff like Mrs. America or Normal People or Plot Against America or Mindy Kaling's new show or the half of it. Like, there's just so much other great stuff out there that's not, you know, super fucked up. I mean, or it is super fucked up. It's just not, you know, it doesn't feel weirdly exploitative. I don't know. It just, it, it, that show made me feel not good and not in a good right. way, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. No, it definitely felt bad for the soul, I think. Yeah, yeah. At a time exactly. when we yeah. didn't necessarily need our souls to feel any worse. But it right. was like, yeah. but I, yeah, I think there's something about this period where like we want comfort food uh, mm -hmm. for our pop culture. And a lot of times comfort, like my comfort food is Taco Bell and mac and cheese <laughs> with cheese on it, uh, yep. like added cheese on top of my mac and cheese. And those things aren't good for me. Um, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Um, Finally, what is a myth? What's something people think is true you know to be false? Um, I'm going to take it back to what I just said about like what audiences want, right? There's this conventional wisdom in Hollywood about a lot of things that is just 
it's all convention and no wisdom. So a few examples, like when I was coming up in the film industry, you'd be told like female driven action movies don't work. Like right. can't make a successful female driven action movie. And like, I remember thinking like, that doesn't really make any sense to me. Uh, why wouldn't they? And you'd be told something like, well, men won't go see women-driven action movies, but like women will go see male-driven action movies, so you should never make a male-driven, a female-driven action movie. And it's like, I don't know, Titanic was kind of a female-driven action movie. That did pretty well. Like all, yeah. really Basically. all of James, Cam all of James yeah. Cameron's movies are sort of fundamentally female-driven action movies, and he has made most of the it's biggest movies all right. of all time. Yeah. So, so like that's a big one. The other big one that, that, frustrates me personally as a black person is uh oh well you can't sell black movies abroad like there's an audience yeah. in the u.s but like you know people outside of the u.s don't want to see black people on screen and yeah, i'm just kind of like sony emails were shocking the, yeah. the whole thing about the equalizer and equalizer 2 was like black doesn't travel guys i i don't want to be the one to say it because right. i'm Denzel's my favorite actor of all time. I was just like, shut the fuck up, man. Right, but, it, but the wild part about it is when you really think about it, right? Like, okay, let's just say that people believe that for whatever reason, right? But then you step back and you're like, okay, so wait a minute. You want me to believe that hip-hop is the most important cultural force worldwide over the last 40 years. Anywhere you go, you can hear hip-hop. Literally anywhere. Uh, people root for black athletes on their local teams, no matter where they are in the world. But somehow, when it comes to movies, they're not interested. Right. Oh, and also Denzel, Will Smith, all these guys have been like crushing it internationally for years. And like even coming to America did like $300 million foreign. So right. like there's this weird sort of uh, racism. And then like the wildest part about it was, so the, the most recent excuse people use is like, look, yeah, things are getting better like in Europe and elsewhere, but like China's a real problem. Like China's super racist. Mm. Chinese people don't want to see black people. And I was in Shanghai two years ago, and I was walking back to my hotel late at night, and right above the hotel, there's an ad for the new iPhone, and it features a black model. Like, the photo is a black woman. And I just remember thinking, like, oh, so Apple thinks they can sell their products with black faces, but somehow movie people don't think they can sell their products with black faces. Right. And I realized that it was, like, this weird double racism. It's, like, it's, it's folks in the business who are neither black nor Asian saying, it's not us that's racist right. it's right. them right. that's racist right. and it's yeah. like look yes there's anti-blackness everywhere like let's be clear and it comes from at its root white supremacy but like they're getting that from the culture that we export right, <laughs> right. like there's this amazing video of like man on the street interviews in korea after black panther came out and one of the interviewees is like yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Like, we've never seen black people on screen this way. They're usually like, you know, hip hop stars or criminals. And I'm like, they're not seeing that on Korean television or like the local right. news. They're right. seeing it from other Hollywood movies. Absolutely. And that's the, the assumption that they make about, about sort of what black people are and sort of are limited by. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's a, again, it's a frustration. There's like a moral and ethical issue there. But I'm also just kind of like, I'm trying to get this money by making movies and there's money to be had on these movies because people want to see them. Like black Panther didn't make a billion dollars because no one wants to see black people in movies. Right. Right. <laughs> so like maybe be less racist and sexist and we can all make more money. Seems like a good plan. Yeah. 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 And, right. And the, like, those like conversations never take into account either. Like what you were just saying of, of like how, like when you do see black characters or you see women or you see like really anyone 
uh, on screen written poorly and written to stereotypes like that is a turnoff for a lot of viewers or they're like oh you know like but then when you actually write a character or give a writer with some lived experience and not just uh someone that is like a whatever like a, a white guy who's been working in hollywood for 500 years usually mm-hmm. it works and if there's like the marketing money put behind it too which is like another thing that just doesn't isn't doesn't even come up in those conversations of like well are you investing in this movie at all or are you just like dooming it to fail by assuming it couldn't possibly succeed yeah yeah Yeah, it's wild i mean um the yeah on that question i've asked that question a bunch like so how much marketing money did you put behind it and they're like well we didn't because it's not possible to succeed i'm like (laughs) you don't (laughs) Uh-huh. You don't see the circular logic huh? here? Like, I'm yeah. not the smartest person in the world, but I'm pretty sure that's flawed logic. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. I could honestly talk about this. The, I, I want this to be the rest of the podcast, but uh, let's take a quick break and we'll be, we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, before we move on to the news, though, I like that just a general thesis statement of this show is that movies are kind of a good representation of the kind of collective unconscious uh, of of the culture. And that's kind of I don't know. I, I'm curious as somebody who is like in the stream of all the scripts that are being written and being produced and bought by Hollywood, like. Are there random like trends that you've noticed that are like cropping up more in the Trump administration that are cropping up more in the era of COVID-19? Yeah, I think we don't have enough. There hasn't been enough time to really track the COVID-19 response yet. Um, Funnily enough, uh, my team just put together a way for us to, because when you upload a script to the site, you can tag it like with all different kinds of search terms. Uh, we just created a, a sort of thing that will allow us to track how those ta- like the volume of those tags being in use changes. And it was really mm. because in six months, I want to be able to look back and be like, oh, there are, yeah, there are a lot of pandemic scripts now. Um, <laughs> or, or actually, no, there aren't any. So I don't think there, any, like, there hasn't been enough time to track that, really. Because it, once it happened, it's been like yeah. three months, really. And so people haven't really written anything yet. But I will say one trend that I've seen sort of post- really starting in 2017, I think, with the annual blacklist, was a rise in, um, you know, scripts about institutional corruption. Can't imagine why. Um, So, (laughs) like, that was really big. And then, or actually, no, 2016, uh, right as the election was happening. And then I think the year before that, there were, right, this was sort of the advent of Me Too, a lot of scripts about women taking extrajudicial sort of revenge on men who had wronged them. Can't imagine why that was a prominent theme uh, coming out of the Me Too uh, moment. So I just, um, look, I think that writers, generally speaking, are, are trying to, like you said, capture the zeitgeist and tell stories about what it means to live now. And so I think that they're yeah. highly responsive to sort of the wor- world events, but also to sort of the thematic underpinnings of what those things mean to be alive during this moment. Even if it's like a period story or like a weird sci-fi thing, like it's all sort of fundamentally about what it means to just like live. Yeah. I have this thesis that uh, robots have stopped being scary to people like probably 15 years ago, but like Hollywood hasn't figured that out yet because <laughs> they keep making like Terminator movies. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you 
feel the same way. Are there any other like kind of misconceptions that Hollywood's still on board with that you feel like the the public is not? It's interesting. The robot thing is weird. You're right. They keep making Terminator movies. I actually think that there's been a shift in sort of how technology is viewed as a danger. Yeah. Uh, and so you're seeing less like sort of anthropomorphized technology and more like this sort of God mode, uh, sort of diffu- like the internet, right? Like, I guess the first movie like that would have been the net with Sandra Bullock, but like this yeah, notion classic. that like aggregating information, uh, predictive technology, all these things, uh, pose a real sort of existential threat to, to humankind. I think you're seeing yeah. a lot, and sort of the way we interact and the and our fundamental humanness. So I think you're seeing right. a lot more stuff about that rather than like you know humanoid robot rolling through town like you know shooting people. Yeah, so we're get, we just I, did I a rewatch is, of the movie. This is all her. to say we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, we just did a rewatch of the movie Her, and it was funny how yeah. um, benign that movie views a lot of the technology that like yeah. Jamie uh, was pointing out that like that the amount of information that they're giving to that operating system about themselves is like, you can't <laughs> watch like, that now no, and not be like, Oh my God. It's yeah. still very what are funny. You doing? Yeah. They're like, she's not like the other girls. She's literally stealing every piece of data and giving it to someone. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's it's like, funny. hi, I've commodified your data for you in the form of this book proposal. Oh, Let's oh. kiss. Like, you're just like, Oh my God. <laughs> Let's kiss. Um, all right, let's talk about the actual world, which uh, is awful. So a guy named Ahmad Arbery was jogging in Georgia, and by all accounts, it seems like two racist white guys, I think a father and son, yeah, mm-hmm. decided that he was a threat and chased him down in their pickup truck uh, and pulled a shotgun on him and then a scuffle ensued and they murdered him. I haven't seen a single like detail where it's like, Oh no, but this is actually like, it just seems like a straight up, uh, some, they they murdered somebody. They hunted, they hunted him down like for jogging, murdered him. Yeah. 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 He was just, his mere presence in this neighborhood, they just decided to, you know, connect these dots to presume that he was someone who was committing some kind of like break-ins or something. They were saying on this 911 call, you know, you could hear the operator saying, well, what, what, what is he doing? Is he somewhere he's not supposed to be like, no, the thing you don't get is we've got this guy on camera a bunch. You need to send somebody down here. And apparently in their minds, they were justifying their actions through some kind of, some kind of bizarre citizens arrest loophole which mm-hmm. has no legal, carries no legal weight at all. It's like absolute, it's a murder. It's a straight up murder. Yeah. And it's, I think like, you know, the media needs to have, a, needs to take more responsibility to try and like, rather than dissecting it, it's like, no, these two men decided to just posse up and go murder this young black man. That's, yep. that's it. That's really all, yeah. that's all that is. And that's just, un- sadly, that's so normal here. You know that. Right. I, I found myself, I, it, this is, again, on top of all the terrible shit that's going on with the economy and the world and working people already struggling, to on top of it, I have to just see a young young man of color just killed for no reason. Is this is just a, a lot for me to, to process yesterday when that video came out. Yeah. Yeah, I still haven't seen it 
then I'm not going to watch it. It's frankly, as a black man from Georgia, it's a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Here's the thing that really kills me about it. Like, look, I, I grew up in, in Georgia, in Columbus. Um, I was on the cross-country team. Used to run a lot, like, in my, mm-hmm. like, upper-middle-class neighborhood. Weirdly enough, during the pandemic, I've taken running back up, so I'm often running in my neighborhood. And um, as bad as the murder is, and obviously awful, uh, the fact that there weren't immediate charges brought against these two people that murdered him is almost more terrifying because if it hadn't been for this sort of groundswell of attention that this thing has gotten on social media, these guys would have gotten away with it. They still may get away with it, to be clear. Right. And that is the thing that, that frankly traumatizes me most because it's not, it's not only that I could get murdered in the street for literally trying to keep my cardiovascular health good. It's that they, the people that did it, I would, I would never get justice. Uh, and those people would just go on about their lives as though they were somehow heroes. Uh, yeah. And that's like fundamentally disturbing. And it should yeah. be disturbing to literally everybody. It's dehumanizing really. to know that your life, you have no legal recourse if your life is just taken from you so aggressively without thought or maybe with plenty of thought either way that yep. there is no legal recourse. And I think, yeah, that's really, it's tough. And like you're saying, like it shows you too how these communities operate because this father and son duo, the father worked as a police officer in the county, worked with the DA, was, you know, yep. linked up with the 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 uh, legal apparatus, apparati, apparatuses in that area. So it was able to be ignored for a long time to the point where three uh, district attorneys had to recuse themselves because of yep. their connections to the suspect. So now they're yep. like, I guess maybe we'll impanel a grand jury, but that can't happen until at least mid June because of, you know, the outbreak. And on top of it, people can't demonstrate when this is clearly such a frustrating thing to have to see and see absolutely zero response that would make anybody that would signal to anybody that this life is worth anything. Yeah. Well, they can demonstrate. The racist white people certainly feel like they can demonstrate and go armed to the fucking state capitol. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they thought that it was the communication between them and 911, where they were like, yeah, we like they thought they were within their rights. And it's just, it's mind boggling that they basically were treated as though they were. And the media narratives that like build around these stories does, I mean, it's, it's awful because it's, it's mainly built around like the what really happened narrative, which in, in Miles, like you were saying, it's so like very, very clear what happened because we've seen it happen right. so many times, but the focus is still like, well, let's hear all sides. Let's consider every, yeah. and it's just like, well, no. that, what's the, fu- yeah, no, it's Look at it. Look at the video. Happened. You'll. This man is chased down in a truck with guys with guns and it ends with him dead. And the scuffle is, imagine if somebody, any like black child in this country, especially if, if you're a young man, you, you will be told about how you, you will be meet, you will be pulled over and you just need to shut the fuck up because shit can go south. Just deal with it. People are going to treat you differently. Just deal with it. You're going to have to do twice the amount of work for half the money. Just deal with it. That's just what it is. And for, I can, my God, if two white people hopped out of a truck with a gun, with guns on me, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Fuck, right. Like, 
my first response might be to run, honestly, probably could be. I don't know if I'm if I don't know if, what my fight or flight response would be in that moment, but that is a terrifying situation and what any kind of scuffle that ensued is because someone is clearly confronted with a situation where their life can be taken away and they're fighting for their life. They're so literally that's their all, life. Yeah. That's all it is and I think yeah, it's there was I think something the New York Times was like what does defenders had to say? There's like a slug right, in the article right. about that and I'm like what the fuck are you talking about? And those stories always come up and it's like the, there's more consideration like and more facts in like editorials about how like this was a like clear hate crime done in plain sight. But that has mm -hmm. that's only presented in an editorial sense. And the and it's it's just like it's, it's fucking awful. Right. Because the media has to both sides it, uh, to do what they think their job is instead of just yeah. like saying what the fuck is right in front of everybody's eyes. Yeah. Um, and it's just really, it's really frustrating to, you know, in this case, we have video show, showing us what, what happened and like, think about how, how many times things like this happen and there's no video and just throughout history, it's just been swept under the rug. The Kent State story coming up and the fact that the same thing happened at multiple black colleges uh, and it was just swept mm -hmm. under the rug because people of color in America are just not given the benefit of the doubt or the benefit of personhood, essentially. They're, it's it's incredibly frustrating and terrifying. I mean, even to that point you were saying, Franklin, about just how we export white supremacy in the media too. And like, you know, we people are we are a product of a lot of the media we consume and when a, a majority of the images we present of African-American people or people who are not white as dangerous, we've, yeah. we've lost the plot because we've already set the table for people's subconscious to just have this like association because of media to do that. I mean, there's a, an unarmed black man who got shot after a car accident in Minnesota, I right. think this last week. And because what? Because somebody was like upset or whatever but the first thing is oh no this per you know this it's just dangerous i have to protect yeah, myself from their we blackness. have this yeah we just have this really awful cycle and you know again it, it's it's so weird like white supremacy is such a huge problem in this country it's, it's actually so big like we mo most politicians are resigned to like not know what to do about it aside from yeah. like <laughs> you know uh it's it's and it's just yeah it's heart-wrenching on top of everything that's going on it's constant I'm sure uh, the president will have something just mind-bogglingly horrifying to, to say on this subject. Yeah. But uh, oh for God. the time being, we we just have his mind-bogglingly horrifying behavior uh, in the context of COVID-19 to talk about. On every other front. Yeah. Literally every other subject. So this is a question that comes up a lot that I... Uh, like, so... A couple days ago, he was touring a mask factory, uh, refusing to wear a mask, and uh, wait, even though he was in a big group of people. And the song Live and Let Die was being blared yeah. behind him. And it just made me wonder, yeah, like, <laughs> what, right. But is, are they doing it on purpose? Like, is, is, was that something that he specifically or like his people specifically uh, staged because they know that it's just the sort of like 
I don't know. I, I've been reading uh, a lot about the Weimar Republic in Ger- Germany right before the rise of Nazism and how much of, you know, the media at that time uh, was very similar to ours in the sense that they were uh, had a morbid fascinate, like true crime was a huge trend at that time, uh, just like it is right now in the United States. And they also like had a morbid fascination with Hitler in the same way that I think our media has a morbid fascination with Trump. Like they treated him as an entertainment and would like breathlessly describe these like absurd appearances by him. And I I just wonder like, is this part of like I guess it doesn't matter like the intention of it, like how much is intentional and how much isn't, but it just seems like it's the, it's the same thing where it's, it's like a, one absurdity layered on top of another one that just makes it very difficult from just like a mental standpoint to like have the stamina to, you know, take this on as a serious thing. I don't know. I mean, my instinct about it is that like there's like three things happening simultaneously. Right. One is that, you know, to some extent, their strategy is literally just to flood the zone with so much that it's actually impossible for anybody to sort of keep up with it all. And, and eventually, like if you're a member of Congress, you're like, we literally don't have the infrastructure to manage the inve- like every investigation we would have to do to maintain normal congressional governmental oversight. So it's literally like trying to run drugs across a border. It's like, yeah, if, you know, half the drugs get caught, we still got half through and we'll be able to sell them and make billions. Right. Um, and then the second thing is, you know, white supremacy, sexism, like, you know, Trump and his administration stock and trade. But then layered on top of that is, and I think this is where the intentional stuff comes from. I think that he's like a savant at sort of giving his base just just to saying things that will make people that don't like him rightfully say, holy crap, you're a disaster. And that rallies his people even more to defend him and say, no, you're not just making fun of Donald Trump. You're making fun of us. We want our country back. And so we're going to make sure to back this guy. And so I weirdly feel like a lot of this stuff is designed to whip up the left so that he can use the left being whipped up to whip up the right. Right. Um, which is, you know, disturbing on so many levels. But, um, and that doesn't mean that we can't be upset about this and be vocal about how disturbing all of it is. Mm-hmm. But I do think the weird consequence of that is, right, like when he's attacking Colin Kaepernick and we're all just like, this is madness and there's race involved here. He then takes our anger and goes to his base and says, they don't love the country. They, they don't, not only do they not love the country, they hate the country and they hate you because you're the real Americans, not Colin Kaepernick, a guy who grew up in like, you know, sort of suburban Northern California and loved playing American football and just wanted to be a good football player and took his team to the Super Bowl. He's somehow not a real American for like, meeting with the Navy SEAL and coming up with the, the kneeling protest as like a respectful way to show his protest. Uh, it's all of you people that, you know, take an American flag and put her on your boxer shorts um, and go protest that, you know, and break into the Michigan uh, governor's office. You guys are the real Americans. Right. And I think also too, like he's just really, it's, it's like a pattern too. There's always like, there's always some 
there's like three bullshit Trump stories a week that will just eat up hours and hours of the yep. news cycle that aren't nearly as poor as important as the abject failure to get <laughs> testing done yep. to secure PPE. So yeah, it's great. It's like, well, hey, every hour they spend going, I'm like, can you believe this guy played Live and yep. Let Die? I'm like, yep. also, do you remember that reggae part of the song? Wasn't that weird? Do you <laughs> think that's part of his play? But like, yes, of course, playing that as a headline, you'd be like, yeah, of course, they're just going to, this is going to be a thing to yep. talk about because it's so absurd and offensive yeah. as all of this is happening. And as he insists on like, hey, yeah, literally go back to work uh, and yeah. possibly lose your life. Yeah, don't worry about the fact that more people have died than during Vietnam, that there's literally a 9-11 every day in America. Just great in terms success. Of numbers, like that's right. great success. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's kind of, I mean, it, it, it's frustrating too, because at this point I feel like a, a lot of people are pretty aware that this happens, that like when Trump does something that is like so absurdly ridiculous, it's it's calculated to an extent i mean sometimes obviously it doesn't seem like he can help himself but it is calculated but then it's just a matter of like well but do we even know what this is supposed to be diverting our attention from or do we not know like it's just ugh, it's impossible yeah yeah gonna be more so we have a new whistleblower that we want to uh -oh. briefly yeah, wait, I, 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 i'm i miss this honestly yeah, there's so, so many. Well, there's two. There's there's, there's, there's so like much bad shit going on. Uh, like, like they said, handing out speeding tickets at the Indy 500. There's just so much bad shit going on that it's hard. Like there, there's hundreds of whistleblowers and a couple breakthrough. Like but Miles, that so this is one who is from within Jared's bro party super task force. Uh, Jared Kushner, yeah. super. So there's also the other whistleblower who's the doctor who you know had the uh, they just he was so stupid he actually dared to question whether or not hydroxychloroquine was worth researching even though it showed no results. Um, that's right. that's a separate case. Uh, where he's talking about how yeah, disturbing I, that process was. I literally just Googled whistleblower. That was the one that came up, not the other one, which yeah, is just so wild. So now we have another one from the task force that Jared Kushner, like disaster bro party, uh, where it was like all these <laughs> private sector people telling these FEMA experts like, yeah, we got it from here. People whose job it is to understand disaster relief and procurement of medical supplies. I think we think we know something. So when they started off this task force, they were dealing with like over a thousand leads from people about possible places to get masks, ventilators, gowns, all kinds of, again, PPE is like the fucking word of 2020. I feel like mm -hmm. personal protective equipment. It's what all these frontline workers need to stay safe and keep themselves from getting infection. If you really want to depress yourself, look at comparison photos of what PPE looks like for doctors and nurses in this country and other countries and tell me you want to flex on your, you know, America's number one. Yep. Um, so they're going through this list. It got to a point where they didn't know how to work the list properly because they're not they're not used to this. They come from the private sector. They have no experience that they started resorting to this other thing that was literally called the VIP update. And it was a spreadsheet. And they're like, what the fuck is this? Well, they resorted to their private sector ways. They weren't, you think like, oh, the VIP is like, we're we talking Chinese distributors, medical supply companies, what's going on? No, Fox and Friends host Brian Kilmeade called two people in the administration to pass along a lead about PPE that he knew about to help out. Uh, Janine Pirro was using this like task force to try and back channel a way to get a hospital in New York that she was specifically like identifying to get a large quantity of masks. Um, and this is just kind of the, meanwhile, 
while this is all going on, relying on these hosts, there were actual doctors and experts who were trying to get a hold of the administration because they had legitimate leads oh to PPE. God. But because they were working their own private VIP list, this thing went by the wayside. There was a doctor uh, who said that in April, he was sending all these messages to volunteers. The, the messages went unreturned. Quote, when I offered the viable leads at viable prices from an approved vendor, they kept passing me down the line and made terrible deals instead because they were just going to cronies. So that's a glimpse into how that absolute just, shocker went. I, I wish I could say that there's a comedian who made an amazing joke, and I need to find his name, and you guys can include it in the show notes. And he said that uh, he figured out the, the equation for the reaction to Trump, and it's uh, it's disappointment plus surprise squared. So if you do, if you do the, if you do the binomial multiplication, it's like, you're disappointed that you're disappointed. You're disappointed that you're surprised. You're surprised that you're disappointed and you're surprised that you're surprised, which is oh, shit. as a math nerd myself, it's Therefore, like the best joke I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so accurate because you're like, yeah, that's who he is. But it's still just like, man, I right. can't believe that that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Disappointed I, that you're not disappointed. Also, there's like some of that mixed in, I feel like, because you're like, am I getting too used to this? I feel mm -hmm. like. Uh, uh, the oh, comedian, yeah, the comedian, I, I just got to give a shout out. The comedian's name is Daryl Charles. It's at Daryl Daryl underscore on Twitter. Uh, it is his joke. It is brilliant. Y'all follow him great. because I mean, that is it's the best joke I've heard in the in the in the pandemic. That's for yeah. sure. Hell yeah. <laughs> the despair feedback loop is real. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and uh, talk about some bullshit. And we're back. And Coachella still hasn't been canceled technically, uh, no. which I was I was surprised to learn that. I thought for sure that we had covered the fact that it had been canceled. Postpone, man. The Mali economy will Postpone. crash. The Mali okay, economy will crash if they do not have Coachella. The Mali economy will they will need a bailout. Um, I mean, yeah, because you know I don't know why it hasn't been canceled because most experts agree that this is a quote. Um, most experts agree that, quote, there's no fucking way that this shit is happening in 2020, end quote. Um, and that's they still that's Fauci. That's Fauci's yeah. quote. I heard that <laughs> one. <laughs> um, you know, I, it's, it's clearly it's going to devastate that local economy because that is like the yeah. hugest thing. Um, but yeah, with concerts, a lot of people are like, you know, I've seen articles where like there were people who were like trying to design cool like bubble suits that you could wear at a show. So it wasn't. And I get it. People want to find solutions because the idea of not seeing live. I certainly don't ever want to not go see live music again. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as states are opening up again, uh, which is a terrible idea, but some states are opening up and we're starting to see what some music venues like have in store basically to keep people safe. So there's a venue in Arkansas um, that has, you know, running down a few points of what they're doing. So their capacity is being reduced by 80%. So they're going from 1,100 people in the audience to 229 people. Uh, they're going to have the venue sanitized by a third party using like fog spraying. I, I guess, I, I don't know if that, how effective that is. I'm sure it is. Mm -hmm. uh, attendees will be checked for fevers at entrances. 
normal. Masks will be required for all concert goers. Uh, seating groups and, quote, fan pods will have at least six feet between them. Bathroom capacity will be limited to 10 people. All drinks will have lids. Okay. Wow. Okay. I so mean, a fog sprayers I- is that like the the dry ice machine like it's the, the fog, fog machine, machine will now have show yeah yeah <laughs> we'll now just have like a little disinfectant yeah. in it it's aerosol hydrochloroquine it, it solves yeah. all that's problems that's why EDM fans are so healthy right exactly yeah, that's true uh yeah I mean I think but the, a lot of like the industry analysts who like were quoted in the story people just are in general. They don't see ticket sales ever recovering until there's a vaccine. I think that's the bottom yeah, line. Not. Yeah. Because yeah. there's clearly a group of people who are like, I'm I'd rather not risk anything until there's a vaccine. Like I'm just yeah. not it's not worth it to me. Um, while there's clearly a group who's like there's clearly people who just don't give a fuck. That's one right. group who will always buy the tickets. Then there's the next group after that. It's like they don't give a fuck, but they give a fuck enough that maybe if there's treatment options, then they'll start going to shows. And then you have the fully like, no, don't fucking talk to me until there's a vaccine. But it's also like weird, right? Like you don't go to a show just for the performance. Like you kind of go to the show to be part of a crowd that's super into yeah. the music. And like, yeah. okay, you, you have your little fan pod, like your, your squad's there and everybody's hype. But like if you're if there are five of you who are super hyped about a show and then there's a gap six feet to the nearest other person, like I, I, as an artist, like who wants to play that show? Like yeah. I, I, I'm just trying to imagine like, you know, imagine trying to be the hype man to an artist who like who got to go out and be like, y'all, are y'all ready? Are y'all pumped? And people yeah. are just like, yeah, please don't cough because I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. Like that's like right. that's just not a vibe that is conducive to a, a good night out. And I think movie theaters are, by the way, going to deal with the same thing. Like, there are movie theaters opening in Texas right now, and they're like, yeah, it's basically going to be like TSA. We're going to check your temperature, like whatever. And it's like, look, I love going to a movie theater more than literally almost everyone in the world. It's literally why I work in the film business. Maybe I'll go to like a big movie when and if that gets released. But I'll tell you what, if I go to a bond and someone coughs halfway through, I will find out right. what happens at the end on streaming. Right? Like, I, like I, I'm out. Like, and, and, and I'm yeah, not even a germaphobe. I'm just yeah. like, the cost-benefit analysis, even for me, where the benefit is high to have that experience in a theater, the costs are literally your life. So you're never going to be in a position where it's like, yeah, sure, like, let me just you know, put myself at risk for this movie that I know will be available right. in a couple of weeks like on my very nice TV in my comfortable apartment. It's an interesting yeah. conversation to kind of like track as people are having it because this has like affected uh, like the comedy community like, you know, really significantly. Yeah. And no one knows what to fucking do. Everyone's sick of Instagram Live. No one wants to say it out loud. <laughs> Uh, and I'll say, I'll say it. It's everyone's sick of it, but, but it's interesting. Like the, uh, my, my partner works at a small comedy theater and it's interesting, like listening to the conversations of like, how could we conceivably reopen safely? Like it affects every size venue, which is kind of like a, a new problem. Like obviously the stadiums have it the worst, but they also have the most resources to Mm -hmm. deal with these problems. And so it's, it is interesting hearing like, you know, could we have partial audience capacity? What does that mean? Does that mean ticket sales need to be jacked up for people to potentially not feel safe? Or are there ways to get innovative with it? Are there ways to have live stream technology installed uh, so that you can sell some physical tickets, some digital tickets at maybe different rates? Like, I, I mean, it's it's a horrible circumstance to see live entertainment have to like adjust, but 
I mean, it, people are trying. I, I don't know. I don't know how it'll work out. It's there's no there there is absolutely no golden standard to and it's and it's just going to have to be like based on people's comfort levels. Like you can't fault anyone for not wanting to go to a live yeah. show. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Look, I mean, and the I, the I, the thing is fundamentally like no one knows what's going to happen yeah. because we're literally dealing with a massive reorganization of human interaction on a global scale. Uh, definitely the first one of those in my lifetime. Like even 9-11 yeah. was a big deal. I was living in New York at the time, but it didn't affect literally every moment of my existence. It didn't affect every interaction I have with another human being. Um, right. And that's literally what everyone on earth is dealing with on some level. And, and, and look, if the stakes weren't so enormously high, it would be fascinating um, right. you know, as a viewer and sort of, you know, to get to experience this moment, but the, the costs of it are, you know, historically unprecedented. Um, and, yeah. and that's, I, I don't know that we even, like our, I don't know that our brains are capable of processing the reality that we're living through right now because we're not meant to know about every human being on earth and to know that every human being on earth is dealing with the same fear um, and, many of them are dying. Like that's just not the way our brains are built. Um, you know, even during the Spanish flu, right? Like how did you get your news? The newspaper and maybe a newsreel? Like we all right. knew Boris Johnson went to the ICU within five minutes. Yeah. And, like, right. the, and, and that changes the dynamic when you know that like everyone around the world, including prime ministers and presidents are like, oh my God, I don't want to get this disease, I might die. I, I, don't, I don't know what it does to humankind but it but the result is going to be real i just don't yeah. know what it's going to be palpable yeah. for sure well and not just that we can find stuff out in five minutes but that we have to have a very nuanced and yet hilarious take on it within 10 minutes yeah <laughs> like, right. no, you're, that's, that's exactly right that's exactly right it's like how well, can, how quickly can you cut together a Ghanaian paul bear video Right. <laughs> People have been lightning fast with those, man. Yeah. yeah. I saw a lot of them after the King Jong Un rumors. Yeah. Uh, yeah here's the one thing that I will say I will say that the internet and this sort of like, and social media in particular, and for me, Twitter specifically, has been like, it's toxic in so many ways, but there are moments where it is the one thing that allows you to sort of like survive. Like the Teddy, yeah. the Teddy Riley babyface Instagram live Battle versus yet. thing, put it in great moments of Twitter history, great moments of black history. Like people just cracking <laughs> jokes on that moment gave me legit three days of happiness. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think that like the way we come together to watch the Michael Jordan doc, like all of those things weirdly sort of give me hope about the world because there is still a community that exists even if we're not together in person. Well, speaking of ways that our reality might change, some possibilities are explored by the great, the seminal uh, intellectual work, Demolition Man. Our writer, J.M. McNabb, went back and did a rewatch uh, of the movie. And he he's saying that it's there's some interesting things, but like, you can easily watch it as an allegory for like everything that the right is saying about the current crisis. So the kind of surface level stuff that I immediately thought of, I think a lot of people did when, you know, this crisis hit was greetings like high fives have been modified to avoid physical contact. 
uh, sex is all done virtually because humanity has endured a slew of outbreaks. Uh, even kissing isn't allowed anymore. Uh, and there's a monologue from Sandra Bullock where she says, after AIDS, there was NRS. After NRS, there was UBT. Not even a mouth transfer is condoned. So it's like a series of, you know, outbreaks essentially change the way that we physically interact with each other. There's even a kind of meditation on our use of toilet paper. And one of the good lines of the movie is Sandra Bullock being like, what, you just used to like wad it up and like rub it on your ass? Like what? (laughs) (laughs) Was <laughs> why did why hey, did now I'm getting defensive? That? I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, Amazing. that's what we. So that's they, all we knew. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so they have that. Uh, so instead of that, they have a uh, a three seashell seashell system, which like they never get into. Uh, they're just like, yeah, you use the three seashells. Um, but Jam was pointing out that it's kind of a weird movie to watch right now and has sort of a conservative libertarian message uh, when viewed at this moment in history. Um, so one of the problems with the future in Demolition Man is that PC culture has gone too far. Uh, and the problem with the future police force uh, is that they don't use guns, uh, which is insane that police not shooting enough people would be a a problem. And then there's like a doctor who kind of has taken control uh, because of future pandemics. Like this doctor consolidates control and makes it so nobody can kiss. Uh, And then like at the end of the movie, there's like this triumphant moment where Sylvester Stallone grabs her and they physically kiss. And it's like, yes, uh, because this doctor, Dr. Cocteau, Cocteau. Uh, Cocteau, used these disasters to take over society and is now like a messianic overlord of of their new society. So it's like, it's basically what uh, I think th- people who follow Q think of Dr. Fauci. It's like, right, <laughs> this guy's just lying to us so that we follow his liberal bullshit. Yeah, I don't know. It's and then by the yeah. way, the heroes of the story, the Dennis Leary characters, like oh no, gang are Dennis this Leary's literal in? underclass of rebels. Yeah, Dennis Leary's in it and stops for like five minutes to just regurgitate one of his like stand up routines. Which is like, <laughs> it's, well, here's it's what's really <laughs> amazing. I just googled Demolition Man uh, while you were talking. Apparently, there's a sequel coming. Yeah. Like, yeah, so that's, that's two days ago. Stallone announced that he was working on a sequel, which is like, yeah, wow. Hey, you know they want to see more John Spartan. Shout out to <laughs> shout out to the screenwriter of Demolition Man, Daniel Waters, because he also wrote Heather's, which really? is yeah. like, yeah, yeah. He wrote Heather's, Hudson Hawk, uh, The Adventures of Four Fairlane, and Demolition Man, multitude, uh, and other things. I love but like, Hudson Hawk, but look, if you can way. put if you can put up Heather's and Demolition Man in one career, yeah. you're doing you're doing, you're doing pretty shit. well. Anyways, yeah, Stallone is now because he's get it's getting a lot of attention, and he is nothing if not an opportunist. Is like, yeah, we're doing we're doing the sequel. It's already been written, and but now someone again, has I to mean, actually write the sequel. <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's all that people happens. forget, Just, man. Stallone wrote Rocky. Don't don't bet against right. him. Don't bet against him. He is an Oscar winner as yeah. a writer. I think, but who yeah, could they course. 
The I mean, honestly, like Marco Brambia, who directed, you know, it was like one of his only films he ever did because he's more of an artist than an actual film director. Yeah. I would I would love to. I mean, it would be great if they're like, hey, will you, you just come back for this one? We'll stop fucking with you. We know the studio completely repulsed you from filmmaking, which is why you were a one and done director. But like maybe this like Demolition Man has a look because the director was such a sort of artist who was being willing to be just so free with it and just kind of weird that I'm curious. I wonder. I don't know. I I want Marco Brambia to, to take over that because it'd be a shame if it was like, I don't know, who, whomever, someone without the the vision to bring San Angeles back to life. Yeah, right. I'm just looking at I'm looking at Brambia's bio, bio right now and like, wow, what a life. Yeah. His, uh, what and else I brought did he this do up besides Demolition Man? He was like an what? artist, right? Yeah, he's a he's still he's an, an artist. amazing he's like a visual, visual artist. Yeah. Um, like, and I was telling when Gabrus was on, like, if you've been to the standard hotel in New York and you see the visual art in the elevator where you're like ascending and descending, it's like yeah. a stitched together video yep. piece. That's Marco Brambia's work. Oh, that's and he cool. does these, he does these massive video installations, which are, if you can ever see them, I can't, I can't suggest them enough. They're three dimensional. He'll project them like eight feet high by like 15 feet wide. And it'll just be a side scrolling, just mural of video yeah. stitched together where you'll see like, you know, stormtroopers from Star Wars and the munchkins from Wizard of Oz, like, like meticulously cut out and stitched together. It's real. it's like his work's really out there, but that's the guy who gave us like visually demolition, man. And I think, right. I would hate for it to just fall flat and it just kind of look like, you know, like Judge Dredd or something. That's amazing. The only actors he ever worked with were like Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, and Sandra Bullock. And he's like, yeah, so that's that's what actors are like. <laughs> I mean, I, I, Sandra yeah. Bullock's great. I'm just going to go on record. I think we're due for a, a Wesley Snipes reconnaissance. Uh, I, I don't know if, if you guys saw Dolomite is my name. He's amazing in that. Like yes. legit gives a great performance. That's another movie that was underrated last so year. So underrated, yeah. By the way, um, and um, yeah, I just feel like Path Passenger Fifty Eight. Are we due for that yet? Yeah, yeah right. Passenger Fifty Eight. <laughs> just just one seat over. Yeah, yep. I'm saying. <laughs> I, I'd oh, even man. watch a Drop Zone sequel. To be honest, I would. He's amazing, man. I mean, he was great in White Man Can't Jump. There's also like he is a font of like these just off the cuff things like it, it we we compiled a list of like things he was overheard saying on film sets that are just like so great and cool like at one point he said some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill like he said that just <laughs> off the cuff about somebody <laughs> like, hell yeah just, snipeisms he's just like yeah, I mean, he's like a philosopher like and book. like a yeah. I would too, man. Oh, another underrated thing is specifically Divine Joy Randolph's performance in Dolomite is my name. Mm. People need to know her name. She's a very talented actress. Divine and that was Joy a hell of a Randolph. performance. Maybe it's time to rewatch that movie. I haven't seen it since it was first released and I'm already ready to see it again. It yeah. was really good. Well, Franklin, it has been uh, a real pleasure having you on the Daily Zeitgeist. Uh, where can uh, people find you and follow you? Uh, Franklin Leonard uh, on Twitter. Franklin J. Leonard on Instagram. Uh, the Blacklist uh, is the, T-H-E-B-L-C-K-L-S-T on both platforms. And then the website is just Blacklist with no vowels, B-L-C-K-L-S-T dot com. Check us out if you like movies, if you're trying to write movies or television. Uh, we got a lot of, like, there's the website that, that 
has fees, but we have a lot of free stuff uh, that will be valuable as you learn about movies and learn about the film industry and all of those things. We really just uh, try to be a, a place where people can like, you know, get the opportunity to do what they're capable of. Awesome. And uh, is there a tweet or some other work of social media you've been enjoying? There is. Uh, so uh, the Pulitzer Prize, uh, obviously, they, they were awarded uh, yesterday. And a bunch of people who I am lucky enough to know personally actually won Nobel Prizes, which is or not Nobel Prizes, but uh, uh, Pulitzers. Uh, Trump confused me with the Nobel Prize. Uh, but Nicole Hannah-Jones, who did the 1619 Project, um, and runs the Ida B. Wells Center, um, tweeted literally just a few hours ago. It's a photo of her in childhood. Um, and she literally, the tweet is just, this little girl on the left from the black side of Waterloo, Iowa, went on to win a Pulitzer. Don't let someone tell you that, what you can't do. And it literally is wow. like, on the left is a photo of her as a child. She's probably maybe four years old, maybe younger. And on the right is literally her. And in the background on her television is the Pulitzer Prizes logo, um, and it's just like, yeah, That's man, incredible. like, don't let anybody tell you what you can't do. Uh, you might not be able to do it, but don't trust them about it. You know, <laughs> figure like, look, I, if I came and said, I'm going to play in the premier league, people would rightfully be like, yeah, man, not going to happen. I should figure yeah. out on my own that I am 41 years old with bad knees and ankles and have no business probably even playing competitive soccer, much left at the highest level in the world. <laughs> But don't, like, unless you really trust somebody, don't, don't listen to them. Yeah. Which is like a cliche and like weirdly like yeah. LA inspirational, but like on a fundamental level, it's definitely true. And like yeah. as a black kid from Georgia who finds himself in a situation where like this week I was on a panel with Pulitzer Prize winner Nicole Hannah-Jones, definitely didn't see That's that as amazing. part of my, my right. life story. And that means I'm definitely doing something right. Right, exactly. Ignore the other haters. Be your own yes. hater. Be your own, be hater. Your own <laughs> hater. It's like a true creative. Be like your a, own I hater. mean, yeah, that is that is <laughs> weirdly the mantra I probably have to acknowledge. Teresa Lee just tweeted, don't hate the player, hate yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Man, uh, that is too Jamie, real. where can people find you and follow you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jamie Loftus Help, Instagram, Jamie Christ Superstar. Listen to the Bechtel cast. We've got a bunch of great episodes coming out soon. We're doing one on bad moms this week for Mother's Day. Um, and I'm going to, I think this is the second time I've recommended my mom's online content. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but my mom finally, after years of pressure, dropped her one and worst recipe, which I think I've talked about on the show before, my mom's taco salad that has nothing to do with tacos or salad. <laughs> she finally dropped the recipe, uh, and I, I posted it to my Twitter. It's truly disgusting. I'm gonna. Uh, I can't wait to make some. It's uh, ingredients: a pound of ground beef, a package of taco seasoning, an entire bottle of Kraft Catalina dressing, a bag of. <laughs> A one-pound bag of shredded Mexican cheese and a single bag of uh, nacho cheese Doritos. So, oh my god, that sounds if you so good! Consume three million calories in a single yeah, bite. I do. I you do. You gotta. It's 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 it tastes like uh, it it tastes bad and it tastes like everything that I've ever loved in my entire life. I mean, I just love 
I don't even know how it's a salad. Like I'm reading the recipe, <laughs> but the way your mother writes a recipe, she's making this sound really elegant though, because it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, obviously brown the beef, but it's like place seasoned grump crumbled ground beef in a mixing slash serving bowl. Yeah. Fair. Drizzle and fold <laughs> craft Catalina dressing. Fold in fold. mech shredded <laughs> Mexican cheese. I'm, I'm like, ooh, okay. We're f- it's a very Dude, open- gentle, sensual process making this horrible dish. <laughs> open Doritos bag to release air and crush chips gently right inside the bag. Pour crushed nacho <laughs> chips over the mixture and fold in. I love it. I'm, I'm going to eat this. It's good. It's good. Miles, where can people find you and what's a tweet you've been enjoying, friend? Uh, you can find me Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Miles of Grey. Also, my other podcast, 420 Day Fiance. Talking about 90 Day Fiance, because trash uh-huh. is what will sustain us in the future. Uh, some tweets that I like. Uh, one is from past guests, guest, Jossie Kaufman at Jossie.com. says, and if you've been on Instagram, you know this trope. Uh People love. Her tweet is: People love posting pictures of themselves and their significant others standing on a beach in North Face jackets, saying, "Quote: Can't wait for more adventures with this one." Uh, I just <laughs> fucking hate those posts, man. Uh, and then there's another one. Uh, this is from at Jadelyn one two three. She just writes. I just saw this on FB and uh, and I about snorted. I'm gonna show you this photo that she has these like women in like leather sort of dominatrix outfits with whips and they're whipping a bunch of bald white men in a pit mine uh <laughs> wearing thongs yeah <laughs> this the is women the are dominatrix wow because when women are in power they're going to want to wear uh just wildly uncomfortable dominatrix gear right and and that's and that's why real men don't give head yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Unreal. Slippery slope, right, man. Yeah. Next thing you know, you're in a pit mine wearing a thong. Did you see that uh, that thread? Don't lean in, strong man. About like <laughs> men. Uh, oh, I gotta send it to you. But this this guy has this like long thread about like reading the body language of couples together, and if the guy is leaning into the woman then he's like a cuck. But if uh, the woman's leaning into the man, man that, but it's like so elaborate and like deeply thought through and just wrong. It's amazing. Um, Broaz A Y tweeted the Sherwin Williams logo goes so fucking hard. Uh, and <laughs> it's just, uh, it's the, a can of paint being poured on the globe and it's covering the globe and it says cover the earth but it's red paint so it's like very ominous uh Mm -hmm. and then christina at floozy esquire tweeted you're telling me a random house published this book uh you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. Uh, we have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes. footnotes. We link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as the song we ride out on. Miles, what is that going to be today? Uh, just want to connect some dots for people. So we were talking, I was talking, uh, I don't know if I brought it up on the show but tony allen passed away i think maybe it was on a trends episode who's one of the you know godfathers of afrobeat music and a fantastic drummer um and yeah uh, a sad death uh wasn't from covid19 but uh he passed away last week and 
the reason I even got into Tony Allen is because I'm a huge, you know, sample-based hip-hop head from the 90s. Um, and there's a beat that Jay Dilla produced for Common called Heat on the Like Water for Chocolate album. And this beat is really dope. And I was just like, this is such an interesting sample. Uh, and then, you know, as a kid, you start obsessing, you figure out what the sample was. It's Tony Allen. So this is the song Heat uh, produced by Jay Dilla on, uh, by Common. So check that out. And then if, if you like that, get into Tony Allen. He's done a lot and he's funky. Uh, all right. We're going to ride out on that. The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That's going to do it for today. We'll be back this afternoon to tell you what's trending. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Messenger in the metropolis, apocalypse here and now. It's no the less, so they don't come near the style. I appear clouds on some heaven and earth. Fake around the deeper the verse gets. Deep as the skinny girls. I surface with the purpose to let y'all niggas for the demo. Voice is an instrument, that's monumental. You couldn't f with the style if you was a nympho. Raising the temple of shy, talk to look into the eye. I identify with dobs and weaves and making moves. The bob and weave and the bitch out from the side sell weed. I feed off the hunger that a bum or a bandit child gets. Freaky, like Marv Albert in outfits by Shaka Givens. I lecture how about that?